Good morning, everyone. All right, there we are. It's great to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Special thanks to all those who were here yesterday to help surround the Giordana family during this time of difficulty. It was great to see the body of Christ ministering one to another and to encourage them and help them during this time. Remind you to turn your cell phones off or at least have them turned to silent as we are live streaming the service and we don't want any interruptions during the service. And if you've not yet had the chance, please fill out the attendance forms that are in your row and pass them down and maybe you'll meet someone new today. We have a special guest this morning. We have a special privilege of hearing a report. Joel and Virginia Cook were longtime members of this church where they served in many, many capacities. And we have the blessing of having them here this morning. Joel is the director with Awana, and he's going to come and give a report. And so let's welcome Joel as he comes forward this morning. Yeah, my wife and I, uh, Virginia's right here in our usual fourth row. And uh, we were married here in 79 and uh, roamed around the Air Force for 22 years, came back home and then went on to become a missionary and been a missionary this month when we celebrate our 18th year as missionaries. Uh, to uh, Our territory simply is from Marysville, Yuba City, California to Springfield, Eugene, Oregon. So Twin Cities to Twin Cities is really what it is. And um, I just want to, uh, again, I, I'm just taking some time as I'm preparing, as I'm going to look across the room and I'm seeing all these lovely faces that, uh, I've missed, and I think about you and pray for you, and just some of the folks I saw yesterday well, as I spoke at the funeral, and I just, uh, just a time, a blessing time to be here to encourage you guys as well. But uh, um, what I wanted to share a little bit about, about our ministry is, is, uh, is what motivates us. You know, 18 years, um, what motivates us uh, as being the missionaries, and you know, as you all know, as we kind of already heard it from John Cooney, is uh, our society, our culture. We've been on a, de a decline um, for years, decades even. And, uh, you know, school shootings, uh, crimes, uh, drugs, homelessness, and the list goes on. But there's a hope. There's a hope, uh, and that is, of course, as we know it, Jesus Christ. And that's the main thing that we do. We want to share that hope and that love with boys and girls in churches and, and get equip them to do the job of the ministry uh, in their local church, just like here. This church started their Awana Club in 1993. And, uh, and that's the same year that I learned how to spell the word Awana. And, uh, and, uh, and, but that's when they started. We were in the Air Force in New Mexico, and our club in New Mexico and this club started within weeks of each other, but our, our, our registration numbers, our charter numbers, is about a, a hundred, hundred apart. You guys here are eight, four, four, eight. Where's Tim? Oh, eight, four, four. I can't get it. Nine, four, four, eight. And we're nine uh, in Cal in uh, New Mexico. It's nine, five, five, three. So you can see that, and that means you know that that's that, that's how many clubs started in in the U.S. at that time. And so right now today. There are over 12,000 clubs in America, but there's over 53,000 clubs around the world, and we're just part of that ministry. And so um, we're just we just want to uh, make sure that we Awana itself, corporation-wise, um, they have really began to refocus. Um, nothing's changed in the way of what we do, but we wanted to refocus our thinking from children's ministry to child discipleship. And if you just think about those two terms, child discipleship means what? Mentoring, investing, um, dis discipling, you know, that's more than just running through handbooks, right? But investing in the lives of these young people. And uh, we have a chance to do that. So, that, and that's our focus, and that's what we're going to do. We have a new club starting in Eugene, um, uh, probably mid-February. Uh, and it just we're just going to keep doing that and keep growing the, the ministry because it's all about the gospel. Because our prayer in Awana is that all children and youth throughout the world will come to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and you know, partnerships. And we look for, we thank God for uh, this is our sending church. Uh, we have uh, 
they've been financially supporting us. You all have, and individuals here have as well. And we thank you that you're our partners in the ministry. And uh, so um, if you would like to take an opportunity to, uh, and get an opportunity to share with us and, and being able to partner with us, then just, you know, seek, come see me. Virginia and I will be probably at that roll-around table uh, after I get my cup of coffee. And uh, and just stop by and see us, and we got some information for you. But but I, I tell you what, uh, we just love coming back. We came back for Laura G's funeral, and uh, we we leave back tomorrow. But but our hearts and prayers are always with you, and and uh, and we just love to to be here and see you guys and and uh, in doing that. So I'm just going to pray for it, and I'll turn it back over to him. Father God, we just thank you for what you do through the life and of the and the people of this church. And so we pray for their ministries to just be strong and strengthened uh, as, as they do the work that you've called this church to do. And uh, so we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's, let's pray for him. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this man and his, his wife. And we thank you that through all these years, you've been so faithful in working through Joel in this ministry here in Northern California and Oregon. And now in the Northeast. But Father, as he continues to minister to what's happening here in this region, Father, would you give him great grace and strength? Father, as he communicates across different technologies, would you give him the ability to train well the commanders that are here in this area? And we thank you, Father, that we can trust you. Thank you for the long-term partnership we've had with them in the gospel. Would you continue to provide all that he needs day by day, materially, physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally? Thank you that we can turn to you and you will continue to guide and use him. And we pray that 2023, Father, would be a year of great harvest for Awana, not only in our church, not only in Northern California, not only across this country, but around the globe, and that you'd be pleased to use our brother and sister as part of the solution for what you will do through Awana this year. Thank you for the privilege of having him with us this morning. Continue to bless and guide and we pray in Jesus' name. There's one more thing we'd like to do by way of administration. I'm going to ask all the elders to stand, the elders that are present here this morning. Well, there's a few of them here. Okay, and now the deacons. Deacons, I want you to stand. S keep standing, elders. The deacons to stand. The deaconesses to stand. If you're a member of the OCS board, please stand. And if you're on another committee of some sort, uh, I'd like you to stand as well. So, as we stand at the beginning of 2023, I want you to look around. These are the folks that God has raised up to be our servant leaders this year in different capacities. So let's commit them into the hands of the Lord and ask for his favor and blessing over them this year. Father, thank you that the church is your idea. And thank you that in your goodness you disperse gifts according to your goodwill that your people would be built up and encouraged and strengthened and led. And thank you for these brothers and sisters that have heard your call upon their lives to say, yes, Lord, and have stepped into the gaps of different areas of need in our church and in our community. Father, we pray for a hedge of protection around them, that their hearts and minds would be consumed with the love and passion of Jesus Christ, that the truth of God would guide their decisions and their directions this year. We pray for your Holy Spirit to work among us and through us and through them that there would be a spirit of unity and community as we gather around your word each week, as we gather around your table. Father, we know that unless you are at work and doing the work through us, we would just simply be chasing after the wind. But Father, we desire and we desire for these precious servants of yours, for each one, that this year they would serve you well, draw deeper into you in a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, become more holy in their character and conduct as they're walking with you and listening to your word. And we thank you, Father, that we can ask you to bless your people, the people that you raise up, and we know you're here. And so by faith, Father, at the beginning of this year, we say thank you for what you would do this year through these precious servants and ask that you would guide, guard, and use them for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm thankful for 
a church that believes in the Word of God, believes in the inerrancy of the Word of God, that God gave it without error, believes in the authority of the Word of God, that all of us sit under its divine and eternal authority, that believes in the sufficiency of the Word of God, that all that we need for life and godliness is found in the pages of this book. And it's been given to us in 66 individual books as a library, if you will. It's also been given to us as one book with a common theme and message that runs from beginning to end. I'm thankful for a church that wants to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I'm thankful that we have understood that the, the best way to teach through the Bible is just a careful verse-by-verse -verse examination and presentation of the contents of the Bible. For in doing that, as the Holy Spirit has given the Bible, and we walk in step with Him, He helps us to understand the message. It's what we call expositional preaching. And there's a value in expositional preaching because we're forced to go through every verse. We're forced to go through every word. And the advantage of that is we get to see the stories unfold. We get to see the messages unfold. We get to see the plan of God unfold from beginning to end. The other thing it forces us to do is to deal with the really hard parts. We can't avoid the hard verses or the hard teachings or the hard stories and just skip around in a shotgun fashion to those verses that we like. I'm so thankful that we're a church that loves the Word of God. Now, years ago, I heard the late Dr. R.C. Sproul recount his own journey and understanding of how to deal with the Word of God. He had come to faith uh, around his college years, and as he was growing, he was learning how to understand the Scriptures, how to teach the Scriptures. And one of those professors challenged him with how to approach the Word of God. And the words that he heard on that day greatly changed the course of his own ministry. And as he recounted them, I realized that's the, that formulates what has been the driving passion of my life. So I have to credit the words to R.C. Sproul. This is what he heard. You are required to believe, to preach, and to teach what the Bible actually says is true, not what you want the Bible to say is true. And that's why we, when we go through it, we sit under its authority, it examines us, and it sits in judgment on us, we don't sit in judgment on it. And so as we stand at the beginning of 2023, it's good for us to reaffirm the privilege we have of having the Bible in our hands on our phones, on our computers, many of them sitting around at home. Not everyone has that blessing, and in a couple of weeks, the, the missions committee is going to share an initiative that they're part of to see that that happens more and more for believers around the world to have a copy of the Bible in their own hands. Many places, the church is growing so fast, there are no Bibles. And here we have Bibles in abundance. But as we have those Bibles in abundance, we still sit under its authority and we approach it with reverence each time we study it and ask the Spirit of God to lead us. So by way of saying that, some of the things that we're going to deal with in our passage this morning initially may challenge us. In the history of the church, in the history of philosophy, in the history of theology, there's some tensions that exist in the Word of God, and we're going to deal with one of those tensions this morning. For we will hear our Lord Jesus Christ make clear statements about the sovereignty of God, about his freedom to choose. And then we also see that Jesus is going to make a very clear appeal to those that hear him to respond to what they hear. We might call that human responsibility. And oftentimes these two ideas are often seen as pitted against each other. But in the mind of God and in the mystery of God, they are not. And since both are clearly taught in the scriptures, we're to see them as allies, even if we do not understand how they are allies, because the Bible teaches both. And we learn then how to sit under the authority of the word as it helps us to wrestle with those difficult ideas. Well, with all that, in honor of our God who has given us this word, I invite you to stand one more time as we read our passage for this morning. I'll be reading from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 11. Verses 25 to 30. And the holy and inspired word of God says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Let us receive it as God the Holy Spirit intended, and let us learn from it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of having a Bible in our hands. We thank you for the privilege of being able to know you more and more through the written word that you have superintended and watched over all these years down through the centuries. And we're thankful that you have given us minds to understand. Now, Father, would your Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning, just as he is the giver of this word. And may our eyes just reflect on the wonder and majesty of Christ all the more because of what you've shown us in your word this morning. May we leave here knowing that we have met with the living God, that you launch us into a 2023 ready to serve you fully and faithfully. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning to those of you joining us online. Thank you for using technology wisely during this time and for following along with us. We we consider it a privilege to gather around the Word of God with you. And we look forward to the day when you can be back with us, and hopefully very soon. As you follow along in your sermon outline, we come to our first major point this morning. And that leads me to one more thing. Pastor Brian has been pushing us to get that church app on our phones. And so make that a goal. Make that something you will get done in 2023. You will get the church app on your phone. Learn how to use it, because that's how we're going to be sending out announcements more and more. That's how we're going to keep people updated. And... On your phone, you can take notes during the sermon. And then when you're done, you can easily click send and send them to somebody as a blessing and perhaps as something to discuss with them during the week. Well, our first major point this morning is a divine and gracious choice. A divine and gracious choice. Now, what we've seen so far throughout Matthew 11 is that Jesus has been giving words of encouragement to John the Baptist, who is experiencing some doubt because he is now in prison. He has experienced persecution because he's been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the last passage we looked at, just before we started our Advent break, we saw that Jesus was roundly condemning cities that had seen great miracles, that had heard great teaching, that had known who he was and what he was doing, and yet had turned in rebellion against him. And said that the judgment that they will receive will be far greater than even the wicked cities of old. For to whom much is given, much is required. And that leads us then to our section this morning. Jesus begins, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. So we begin here with a public prayer that Jesus is offering to the Father. And one of the things that's interesting, of course, about our Lord Jesus Christ is that he never does anything just by accident. There's always an intentionality in everything he does. And even in his prayers, as he prays publicly, he is teaching through his prayers. And so he is teaching the disciples through this prayer and through many other prayers that we find in the Gospels how to understand and think about the things of God. And so take note for how Jesus prays here. Take note that it's the object of his prayer is the Father himself. He offers praise. He begins his prayer with a word of praise. Isn't that what he's already modeled for us in the Sermon on the Mount? When he said, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He starts by giving praise to the Father. And it's a good example for us that oftentimes we have our burdens, we have our needs, we have our desires. We want to rush into the presence of God and we want to spill our list at his feet. And he certainly is ready and willing to hear the list and the burdens of our hearts. But remember the one to whom we're talking. He's our Father. And so we begin with praise. We begin with adoration. We begin with worship of who he is. And here Jesus begins with a word of praise. And why? Because the Father is sovereign. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. 
To whom is Jesus giving thanks here? He gives thanks to the Father whom he calls the Lord. And the word for Lord here means master or sovereign one. It's a term that refers to the sovereign rule of God over all of creation. Jesus, who knows the Father better than anyone, as he is teaching us how to pray in this context, refers to the Father as the sovereign one, the Lord of all creation. So in his own life, Jesus is modeling for us submission to and respect for the Father who is in heaven. It's a good place for us to begin each day as we begin our day in prayer, whether we're sitting on our comfortable couch with our Bible open and a cup of coffee or whether we bow beside our bed or maybe as we open our Bible before we get out of bed. It's a good reminder that we begin the day in submission to and respect for the Father and his ministry. And what is he thanking the Lord for? Is he saying, I thank you, Lord, for your kindness. I thank you, Father, for your mercy. I thank you, Father, for your love. Those things are all true. And we will find Jesus giving thanks for those things at different points. But what does he give thanks for here to his sovereign Lord, the sovereign Father? He gives it because the Father is free. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Is that what we would expect Jesus to give thanks to God for? But that's what he does. He gives thanks to the Father for his divine choice to hide some things from some people and to reveal them to others. Let that fall on your ears for just a moment. It is our Lord Jesus Christ who gives thanks to the Father that he's God. That he chooses to hide from some people and reveal to others. And he chooses to hide these things. What are these things? Well, in some way, they need to refer to the nature of Jesus' ministry, to his purpose as the Messiah, to the mission that he had, to the truth of his teachings. They refer to what is the nature of this kingdom of heaven that Jesus has brought in and over which Jesus is king. Jesus begins this prayer by praising the Father for hiding these things from some and revealing them to others. And that might shock us, that we would hear that God hides from some people and reveals to others, and that Jesus praises him for this. But that's not the only time we're going to see this idea in the gospel according to Matthew. In a few weeks, if the Lord wills, we'll get to chapter 13, and we'll begin to look at a whole series of parables that Jesus uses to talk about what the nature of the kingdom of heaven is. And in verse 13 of that chapter, he will say to you, to the disciples, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. We might think, well, this is just a gospel principle. Is it just in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? But as far back as the prophet Isaiah, several hundred years before the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet said, truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. The Father is able to hide things from some people and reveal them to others because he's the Lord. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He he truly is the only free being in all of creation. He's the creator, the sustainer of life, the judge of all, with no obligations towards anyone because he's Lord. He's in control. He gives life. But when he reveals, he also gives the ability to understand. He opens eyes. He opens hearts. He opens ears. He opens minds so that the veil falls and that we're able to see and understand what it is that that is being revealed so that we can rightfully respond to it. And so Jesus begins in this little passage with a prayer to the Father for, frankly, being God. And as the perfect, almighty, all-believing all-powerful, I should say, all-knowing being, this Father can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants, whenever he wants. He just has to be consistent with his character and his nature and his truth. And so that puts us then in the position of being in no position to judge the Father. He is free. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And so it's a safe principle in the Christian life to simply let God be God and go along with his way of doing things and respond in a way that adores him, that uplifts him, and that exalts him. The Father knows best. 
So Jesus praises the Father who has hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. And in this context, it would be the religious leaders, the ones that thought they were in charge, the scribes and the Pharisees who had put so many rules and regulations about how to keep the law. They made it a burden. They made it difficult. They made it troublesome for those who tried to follow them. And Jesus comes and says, it was not to the so-called wise, not to the self-appointed understanding, the scribes and the Pharisees, that these things were revealed. They wanted to know the things of God and control the things of God and teach on the things of God through their own human machinations and control. And God will simply not put himself under the control of anything human. Do we see this idea elsewhere? Yes, we do. The Apostle Paul grasped this idea very clearly as he was teaching the church in Corinth. And he's having to deal with a city that was overcome by philosophy and different points of view and puffing themselves up because of their cultural extravagance, their so-called learning and their wisdom and, and their sophistication. And it's to that church that Paul writes, for the word of God the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since... In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The wise of the world, whether it's first century Jewish leaders, whether it's philosophy down through the centuries, whether it's the self-appointed religious gurus that cover our television channels, they depend upon their own ability, their self-sufficiency, their own intelligence to know God and to reveal the secrets of God. But wisdom is known through God and through his ways alone in Christ, whom we are told is our wisdom. And so the Father, said, uh, the Father has withheld these things from the wise of this world, but has revealed them to little children. Now, this is not referring to those who are young in age. This is a term that is used several times in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus refers to his disciples as little children. When he brings healing to someone, he, he, refers, he says, my son. When he brought healing to someone else, he says, my daughter. When he, he lectures them and teaches them on prayer, he says, my little children. They are those who have childlike faith that trust in the Father and they take him at his word. They obey him. They want to please him. They may not be the wise of the world, the intellectual of the world, the trophy winners of the world, the scholars of the world. They just believe Jesus and take him at his word. They trust him and trusting in that which is true and sure and eternal and unchanging. They understand that there is a difference between having a childlike faith and a childish faith. Having a childlike faith is putting trust in the Father and taking him at his word and growing in what the Father says. And a childish faith just stays at that same level, continually insisting upon one's way of doing things. So Jesus is praising the Father for being the sovereign ruler of the universe. And one of the ways he shows his sovereignty is by choosing to reveal things to some people and not from others. We might be surprised. Why would he do this? Was it a distraction? Did he take a coffee break that had too much caffeine in it? No, Jesus says, Father, such was your gracious will. And the word here is eudokia in the Greek, and in that word, language it means pleasure or goodwill or favor. We could translate it as, for so it pleased you well to reveal to some and to hide from others is God, what God wanted to do. And that puts us then in the position of letting the word of God teach us and not try to flatten out everything to mean just one thing in every context. At times in the scriptures, we see where God willed to destroy the wicked. It was the intention of God to destroy so-and-so. God desired to punish so-and-so. He's God. 
He sees the beginning from the end. He knows all things. He knows everything that is, everything that could be, and everything that is to come. And whatever he does, it is pleasing to him because he always acts according to his good character. That means it's good, it's just, it's righteous. But our created, finite, limited minds start to short circuit. We can't grasp how this can be. That's okay. Let God be bigger than your understanding. Let God be greater than your ability to grasp everything that he says in the word. Because everything he does is according to his perfect truth and perfect moral excellence. And so that puts us in a position then of considering that we may not always understand the ways of God. You know, the Apostle Paul had to wrestle with this in the church at Rome. He spoke eloquently about the sovereignty of God and salvation of sinners. And some objected and said, that's not fair. And Paul said in chapter 9, verse 19, that's exactly what they would say. But then he goes on and gives the direction, who are you to talk back to me? I'm God. You don't understand the beginning from the end. You don't see all things like I see things. And what if I want to do this and what if I want to do that? It's all for my eternal glory. I think Carol and I gained a, just a fresher perspective on this just a couple weeks ago. We had the privilege of being at Fort Bragg at the end of last year. Storms moving in, an ocean was raging, 200 feet of white water and foam going out from the beaches as waves crashed upon the other. It's just amazing display of power. It could sweep us away just like that. And in fact, one place where we had been standing just a few days later, a massive wave swept over that area and caused great destruction to the lighthouse we had just been in. And then we think of Isaiah. He says, the Lord beholds the nations of the world, and behold, they're a drop in the bucket. What can our finite minds understand in the face of such a God? We may not understand how God can withhold things from one while revealing them to others, but that is what Matthew 11 tells us. And we cannot say that God does not have the right to do so. We're simply not in a position to question his good pleasure. God doesn't act according to our standards. He acts according to his. So as Jesus continues to offer this prayer, then he gets into understanding and he gets to the next point where he says, the son is unique. He says, all things have been handed over to me by the father. This is not the only time we see that the father designates all things to the son. Uh, write down John chapter 5 in your notes and take a look at it later and look at all of the things that the father has given to the son that shows the control of the Son, and the purpose for all of that is that they may glorify the Father just as they glorify the Son. Later on in this very gospel, Jesus will say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He's in a unique relationship with the Father, unlike any other relationship. And he says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. There's a unique claim to relationship. There's a uniqueness within the relationships within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony forever, in perfect relationship, never any lack, never any misunderstanding, never any disagreement, always working together in perfect harmony. But here Jesus says it's not just a son who knows the Father. He reminds us that it's the Son. He's making a claim to deity. After all, who can know the Father who can know deity unless one who is divine himself? Who can know one who is eternal and all-powerful and truly wise except one who is that in his own being? Jesus says, I have a unique relationship to the Father. I have unique access to the Father. I share the same divine nature as the Father. And like the Father who is free because he is sovereign, so is the Son who is free. And no one knows the Father except the Son. We've already seen that. No one knows the Father except the Son. But who else can know the Father? And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There's a clear statement of divine control here. There's a clear statement of divine initiative. We've already seen that the Father chooses to reveal and chooses to hide. Now we're told here it's the Son who chooses to reveal. And without a doubt, this statement offends the pride of man. No, I'm free. I choose. It's up to me. 
That's not what it says here. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus knows the nature of man. That's why he came. He knows that man in his sinful state will never respond to the things of God. In fact, he cannot respond to the things of God. In fact, he does not want to respond to the things of God. That's why Jesus would tell the, the, his audience in John chapter 6, the flesh, the human nature, the sinful nature, availeth nothing. And Paul will say, man, sinful man cannot please God in the flesh. And so we stagger at the thought. But now think of what Jesus did. He knew who we were. He knew what we needed. He knew what needed to be done. He knew what had to happen. And he came and lived that perfect righteousness that God required, enduring the cross and its shame and went to the cross and was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he still continues to pray for those he came to save. For he came to save his people from their sins. And anyone to whom he chooses to reveal will know the Father. And as he reveals the Father to people, their want to, their will changes. That's why what they didn't want yesterday, suddenly they want today because they have a new disposition, they have a new nature, they have a new mind. Now they want what before they refused. Jesus understands who he is and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And now that gives greater understanding when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or when Paul says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus is in a strategic position of making the Father known to the world. And so as one commentator says, saving knowledge of God the Father comes only through the electing revelation of Jesus, who is the exclusive mediator of salvation. And I know, friends, this is a tough message, but bear with me. Remember, we said there were two sides to this tension. Two things that we're dealing with. But is this the only time that such an idea shows up in the Gospels? Indeed, it is not. We could have a series for weeks that would show where it comes up again and again. But we'll just consider quickly two verses. As, John, as Jesus is preaching in John 6, he says, And the Father gives me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That sounds strangely like what we're going to read here in Matthew 11. In John 6, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yes, there's mystery here, but the Father and the Son, we are told clearly here, choose to whom to reveal the truth, and those who hear the truth will come, and when they come, Jesus will hold them forever and bring them into an eternal inheritance. That's why there can never be any room for boasting or thinking that we have brought something to our salvation. So we need to see ourselves who we are before a holy God, before he acts in our lives. And in the holiness of God, if he, in all of creation, in all of the life length of humanity, were only to save one person from sin and condemnation and bring them from hell into heaven... He would be worthy of eternal praise because no one deserves salvation. If everyone got justice, we would all be in hell. But thankfully, many of us received mercy. We received grace. And not only us, millions upon millions upon millions more beside. And we're told the throngs of heaven are too numerous to count but not one of them will be able to boast about why they are there. They'll only be able to boast about the goodness of a gracious God who had mercy upon them. And so, my friends, the wonder is not that Jesus hides the truth from some. The wonder is that he reveals it so clearly to so many. Even us who have the privilege of hearing it. John Calvin said, we cannot by our own faculties examine the secrets of God, but we are admitted into a certain and clear knowledge of them by the grace of the Holy Spirit. It might unnerve us to think that God is in control. But who would you rather have be in control of your salvation? 
whose authority would you rather be over you? Whose abilities? Whose control? The very breath that we take, our very life are dependent upon him. As Spurgeon said, if we were to add even one stitch to the garment of our salvation, it would be so weak as to ruin the whole thing. But if God is sovereign, and if we're in Christ, then that means he is involved in every aspect of our being, and that is a good thing, and we are at rest that God is in control. And so I find it a marvel that I will never get over a million billion years from now as I am bowed down at the feet of Jesus praising him I will be amazed that I will be there because of the grace and mercy of God and his divine and gracious choice which leads us then to the next point which is a direct and gracious command now at this point in our discussion on philosophy there'll be the what about a fight will threaten to break out after all, the pride of man wants to be in control. But if you know Christ this morning, on what basis did you choose Christ? Were you smarter than your neighbor? Were you more spiritual than your neighbor? Were you more spiritually sensitive? Why is it in a world where 40% of the population still has not heard about Jesus Christ that you have? Boasting is excluded in salvation. Because salvation then is all of the Lord's. And that's a good thing. Because once he grabs us, he holds us. And we're in good hands forever. But is this all that Jesus said about this subject? No. Look what he does. He turns around and he says, come to me. He doesn't enter into a deep philosophical discussion at this point. He doesn't try to help us tease out in our limited mind how to understand divine sovereignty and human responsibility. He doesn't see them as enemies. He sees them as friends. He is the one who has just said, those to whom I choose to reveal the Father, they will come to me. But the way that they will come is they will hear the word of God. So Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Preaching comes by hearing the word of Christ. It comes by hearing the gospel. And so the control of God then frees me up to preach the gospel wherever I go. And I just call people to repent and believe and say, there is a Savior, will you but come? Because I know that he's in control of the whole process. And he has ordained both the ends and the means to those ends which is us opening our mouths and sharing the glories of Christ and inviting others to come and join us. So Jesus says, come unto me. That's the same way where he says to God in the Gospels, follow me. The Gospel message is always repent and believe and follow Jesus. That's why we preach the Gospel freely to all. Because God is always at work. And we don't know how he's going to be at work, but he is. And those who hear his voice will respond to his call. And it's right then, if Jesus has just said that he is the one who reveals the Father, if he will say in another context that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then it is right for him to command people to come to him. Because there's no other way to be saved. Salvation is coming to Christ. Coming to a person. Coming to a living being, it's not a doctrine, it's not a church, it's not an organization. Salvation is knowing Christ personally, knowing God personally through Jesus Christ who calls us. And if we hear his voice, we go to him and we find him to be a kind Savior. He says, come to me, come to me, the call goes out. All you who labor and are heavy laden. It's a burden to try to follow the law of the scribes and the Pharisees and to keep all of their requirements. Especially under a system where they kept adding layer upon layer upon layer that were not directly given to the law. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount broke through all of that and got straight to the heart of the law. And then he said, and I'm the fulfillment of it. And you'll live it out by living in me. Come to me, all you who are worn out trying to keep the law, trying to please religious practices. And the church had to struggle with this. 
as people are hearing the gospel and they're coming to faith in Christ and they're coming to Christ. How do they follow Christ? Do they follow in the Jewish ways? Do they stay in the Gentile ways? And they had to have a, a council in Jerusalem to sort it out and say, no, we don't follow these man-made laws. We follow Christ. We follow Christ. We're with Christ. We walk with Christ. Have you ever been weighed down by the burdens of man-made religious expectations? Have you ever felt stressed out by the traditions of men? Come to Jesus. Do you feel the uselessness of your own striving to become holy, your own efforts to become more like God? Come to Jesus. Stop trying to earn what you can never earn, but that which can only be given by grace through faith. The great John Wesley went out as a missionary leaving England to go to the United States, went out as a missionary, and by his own accounts, he was not converted. And he tried to please God through his, whole, his efforts, and he became more and more frustrated and discouraged. And it was when he met a group of believers called the Moravians who explained to him the gospel. He embraced the gospel and said, this is for me. And then the Lord went on to lead him in a fruitful ministry that lasted decades. But the cry of his heart before that was, I went to America to save the Indians, but who will save me? That's what religion does. We think we have to do this and this and this and this, and then God will be happy with us. God has already done it all in Christ, and if we are in Christ, his favor comes upon us. Don't struggle with man-made traditions and religions and customs come to jesus because he is the strong one who can lead you in the way that you need to go so if you hear the gospel preached today and you don't know christ don't stop and have this conversation with yourself and with someone else well am i one of the elect that's not what jesus says here if you hear the gospel respond to it believe it repent Come to Jesus, confess your sins, run to the cross. That's what you're commanded to do. To quote Spurgeon again, he said, look to Jesus, believe on him, and then you shall make proof of your election directly. For as surely as you believe, you are one of his. If you will give yourself wholly up to Christ and trust him, then you are one of his chosen ones. So go to Jesus just as you are. Go straight to Christ. Hide in his wounds. And you shall know your election. Come to me, Jesus says, and take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now there's a yoke involved. A yoke means work, a yoke means responsibility, a yoke means obedience. Ah, yes, those things are involved in the Christian life. But now they're no longer your yoke or the yoke of man-made religion or of custom. They're the yoke of Jesus. What's the purpose of a yoke? Well, in those days, they would yoke a stronger animal to a younger animal, an older animal to a younger one to teach and to show how the animal was to go, how to be useful in the fields, how to be useful in the harvest. Jesus says... Be in union with me and let me teach you in the way that you should go how to respond to God, how to grow in God, how to grow in obedience. He's not an authoritarian like the Pharisees. He says, no, my yoke is gentle. My burden is light. But it's still a yoke. It's still a service because we're called to follow him, which means you keep on keeping on in the Christian life. The yoke was used as an illustration of slavery, often in relationship to the law, the traditions of the law. But we have a yoke here that shows that the Christian life is one of obedience and service and action because it's a personal relationship with the living being who is the Lord of heaven and earth who says, follow me and take my yoke and walk with me. And so as we hear that voice then where Jesus says, come unto me, we're saved by grace through faith as we hear the voice of Jesus, as we come to him. But that's just the beginning of this journey with Christ that he will lead us through the rest of our lives. 
Because he recalled in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was showing how they were taught the law. And they said they've added on to the law, they've added on to the law, but I'm the fulfillment of the law. He also went on and said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this yoke, this walking with Jesus is not a lower expectation of holiness and righteousness, but a higher one. But now it's no longer your yoke to try to get holy. It's his yoke which has declared you holy and will make you holy as you walk with him. Take up his yoke, he said. And let's leave behind the burden of man-made religions and laws. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. But it involves keeping the law of God, the moral law, following him, obeying him, obeying his commandments. How can we say that it's not a burden? Well, he's not the first one that would understand that, or certainly not the last one. The Apostle John writes later on to the church and says it is no burden to obey God when you love him. Think about in your own relationships. Because you love your spouse, you serve your spouse. Because you love your children, you serve your children. Because you love your friends, you do what is best for your friends. It's not a burden. It's a joy because of the relationship that you have. And if you're in a love relationship with the Lord and he says, let's go, you go. And it's not a burden, but it's a joy. Do you love the Lord? Do you find it a burden to follow the Lord? How about if at the beginning of 2023, we just come clean before the Lord to say, forgive me, I'm sorry. I've tried too hard in my own efforts. I've forgotten what grace does. I forgot what grace can do. I've forgotten that you just call me to walk with you and keep up with you and and continue on in the path that you're leading me on. I'm trying so hard to please you, Lord. Forgive me for that because I'm pleased, you are pleased with me in Christ, so now help me to live accordingly. Come to Jesus. Take that yoke. And then you'll be able to cry out with the the great Augustine who said, Lord, command what you will. Now let me back up. Let me back up. There's one quote that I want to bring in. And it comes from Doug Webster. I apologize. In In his book called The Easy Yoke, he writes this. The surprising promise of the easy yoke was meant to free us from a self-serving, meritorious, performance-based religion. The yoke of Jesus frees us from the burden of self-centeredness. Nowhere does Jesus promise ground that will be soft for tilling or level paths for bearing the load. What he does promise is a relationship with himself. He's a good teacher. He promises to go with us, to teach us, to lead us. So he says, spend time with me. Know me. Let's walk together. And as we understand that he fulfilled all righteousness, when we understand that he gives these commands, then we understand he also gives us the power to obey him because he's walking with us. And so we can pray then as Augustine prayed, command what you will, O Lord, and grant what you command. And lastly then, you'll find rest. You'll find your rest. Twice Jesus mentions this, and I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls. When we come to Christ, faith in Christ, we have peace with God and we're counted as righteous. When we come to Jesus and we're walking with him, we're set free from the tyranny of the law. When we come to Jesus, we're set free from the tyranny of law-keeping. When we come to Jesus, we're set free from the guilt of our sin. When we come to Jesus, we're set free from the fear of judgment. And we find ourselves experiencing the wonder and the mercy and the grace of God. And that rest can only be found in Jesus. And so we come to Jesus and we rest in him. And then because we walk with Jesus, we continue to find our rest in him. As he strengthens us and so that our want to continually changes. So that we want to more and more obey him. We want to more and more know his word. We want to more and more pray. We want to more and more just tell others how wonderful he is. And that's that active life then of obedience as we follow him in love. Have you tasted this morning that the Lord is good? In your life, have you experienced that the Lord is good? 
And why would you ever go back to the things that you did before? If you have known the joy of the Lord and the fruitfulness and faithfulness that comes in walking with him, why would you turn back to the things of this world? When you can have true riches in Christ, why expend all your energies for mere money? When you can have the treasures and pleasures of the Lord, why run after the cheap pleasures of the flesh? Jesus is far better than anything. And in him we find our rest, both for now and for eternity. Now this morning we have wrestled with the two ideas of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. I could give you a list and list and list that shows they're side by side all throughout the scriptures. So we just embrace the scriptures and we wrestle and we obey what it says and we believe what it says. And we may not understand everything because we don't have the mind of God. But what is clear to us, we respond to. And what is clear to us is salvation is always of grace. And what is clear to us is the sinner must repent and believe. And what is clear to us is that there is no room for boasting once we come to Christ. And then what is clear is that all praise and honor and glory goes to Jesus and to the Father for salvation. And that will be our song in heaven that we will praise him forever and ever and ever. As you come to Christ this morning, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice this morning, whether in this room or over the airwaves, will not put their head to the pillow tonight without coming to Jesus. And that you will find in him to be a kind and faithful servant who will hold you forever. Next week, we're going to switch over and get into chapter 12, and there'll be a little bit of a switch going on in the ministry of Jesus. But what are some things that we can think about from our text from this week? We may not understand all of God's ways, but we will still praise him because he is good and his ways are just. The Lord has never failed you. He will never fail you. So in what you have seen him do, based on what you do understand, you can trust him for those things you do not yet understand knowing that they will be just and perfect and good. Because God is in control, we will praise him that he reveals and he hides in ways that bring him great glory. Our desire is we want the Father to get all of the praise that he is due. That means we have to let him be God as he reveals and as he hides. Thirdly, because the, Father know, the Son knows the Father better than anyone, we will gladly go to the Son to know and worship the Father. Just wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus and pour out your praises and pour out your offerings and say, let's walk together today. Confess your sins. <laughs> Might have to happen a few times in the morning. Might have to happen a few times in the afternoon. This confession of sin thing is ongoing. But so is the grace of God that overcomes and strengthens. Fourthly, because Jesus offers rest from the burden of man-made religion, when we hear his voice, we will gladly rest in his mercy and grace. I hope this year we will be men and women, boys and girls of the word every day. Just as you take your breakfast in the morning, at some point during the day, take breakfast from the word of God and feed your soul and gladly listen to his voice. And lastly, because salvation shows itself, we will take on the yoke of Jesus and obey his ways as he empowers us to do so. We will say to him, Lord, command what you will, but grant what you command. Let's pray. Lord, it is good for us to see you as God. It is good for us to be reminded how needy and dependent we are. It is good for us to remember that we are but molded from the dust of the earth and to dust we shall return. But Father, it is good for us to remember you're a good and gracious God and thank you for calling us from death unto life, for bringing us from de death into life and lightness and truth. And would you stir us now, Father, to love you more than we did yesterday, to love you more this year than we did last year, to to take your yoke and your strength and lean upon you and to know your word better, to know your ways better, to serve you better so that we can glorify you all the more. 
take these words, Father, and challenge us with them. And continue your work in our hearts and minds and wills and souls and lives that would become more like Jesus. Because we all confess our need of you, Father. Help us to walk with you this week. And to become more like our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen.